because of what this service represents and what God has been doing in, among us as a church and in the lives of the Balsers and the next week as we'll hear in the registers and, and in many other ways um, because we're talking about church membership. As I prayed about this service, I was drawn to Hebrews chapter 10. So we'll think together about Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25 this morning. As you're finding Hebrews chapter 10, I just want you to imagine that you're in a kayak. You're in a kayak going down a river, and there's the dock where you want to be. But the current of the river is so swift that it carries you right past the dock, and so you have to turn yourself around and paddle yourself back against the current to get to the dock where you're trying to, to go. And you're paddling and you're paddling and you're paddling. You're making progress, but it's not easy. And your shoulders are aching and getting sore, and your back is starting to hurt. And it's tempting to just say, forget it. I'll just let the current take me where the current wants to take me. That's a pretty good picture of the Christian life in this fallen world. That's a pretty good picture of what the people who received this letter of Hebrews were experiencing. And it's a pretty good picture of what we experience every day. We are always pulled away from Jesus Christ by the currents of this world. The book of Hebrews is basically the uh, God, through the Holy Spirit, through the author, grabbing our faces and pointing us to look at Jesus Christ and saying, look at how awesome Jesus is. Look at how glorious he is. It's worth the paddling. Don't drift away from him. That's what the whole book really is about. Now, if we're honest, I think, and we should be able to be honest together, I think we often have trouble connecting our hearts to our heads here on this point. We know that Jesus is more valuable than anything else. We know that. We know that we should value Jesus more than anything else. I think we want to value Jesus more than anything else. But often in, in our practice and in our real passions and in our real priorities in real life, we don't value Jesus more than everything else. Or we can't value Jesus more than everything else. And we do drift away from Him. So what we have in our passage, Hebrews 10 19 through 25, is one truth and then one surprising invitation. And if you are right now in a really good, close walk with Christ, you're um, relationally just close with Jesus Christ, I just commend you and affirm you in that. That is awesome. And I hope this passage will further strengthen your walk with Christ. But if you are drifting away from Him, or have drifted away from Him, I hope that this will remind you of how awesome Jesus is. I hope it will bring you back. I hope you'll receive it with all the grace of God and His powerful arm to bring you back to Jesus Christ. So first, the truth. Because of Jesus, we have access to God. Because of Jesus, we have access to God. Let's read verses 19 through 21. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. Now we'll stop right there. What comes next are some invitations, but this is the reason for the invitations, the truth. 
Because of Jesus, those who trust in Him and follow Him have access to God, to God Himself. Now, the Old Covenant, access to God, was mediated by layers of priestly, sacrificial regulations. If you've ever read through the Bible in a year, and if you found yourself in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Numbers, and you, you see all these regulations and stipulations for accessing God through the priestly and sacrificial rules and rituals. In the New Covenant that Jesus secures for us, He's cleared a path through all of that in the ultimate priestly and sacrificial act of His death on the cross. That's what the passage teaches. We have access to God. How? Verse 20, I'm sorry, verse 19, by the blood of Jesus. The Old Testament system, there were just constant animal sacrifices. I know that must seem weird to modern people who come into the faith to look back at the Old Testament and see all these animal sacrifices constantly. That was God's way of teaching them that blood had to be shed to make their sins go away so that they could be in relationship with Him. And they had to do it perpetually because they weren't sufficient to fully and completely take care of the sin problem. So the Old Testament blood shedding was perpetual and constant. But with Jesus Christ, it was the once and for all sacrifice. His blood, once and for all, cleanses His people so that they can gain access from God. So if you're a Christian, all of your past, present, and future sins are completely cleaned by the blood of Jesus Christ, once and for all. That's why we don't do animal sacrifices on Sunday mornings. Jesus' sacrifice took care of it. Now, you may have some really dark sin in your past. If you're a Christian, you need to know that that is fully cleaned by the blood of Jesus Christ and fully forgiven, and you have access to God. You may have sin right now, presently in your life, that you're struggling with, some sin that you do a little better, but the temptation's strong, it keeps getting a hold of you, and you struggle, and you struggle, and you feel terrible about it, and it's just a real difficulty in your life. You need to know that Jesus' blood cleanses you from that if you trust in Him and follow Him as your Lord and Savior. And I promise you, He will give you the strength to repent of it. Don't give up. I can also promise you that you will have sin in your future because you will not be perfect until Jesus returns and finishes His work in you. And you need to know that His blood shed once and for all on the cross cleanses you even from that, your future sin. How are we able to have access to God by the blood of Jesus? Verse 20, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Do you remember the story of Jesus' death? Many bizarre things happened during His death on the cross, but one of those, do you remember that as He died, the curtain in the temple that separated people from the holiest place in the temple ripped in half from top to bottom. Do you all remember that part of the story? See, when Jesus died on the cross, it ripped every separating thing in half that would keep us from access to God. You know, the, only the high priest could enter the holiest place and only on one day of the year, the Day of Atonement. But through Jesus Christ, we now have access to these holy places. We now have access to a holy God. Those who trust and follow Jesus. It's a new and living way. Jesus is alive. He arose from the grave. And it's as if He, every day, is still holding the door open for us. 
so that we can have access to God the Father. So we can walk right into the holiest place, into God's presence, as verse 19 says, with confidence, boldness. It's the way it was in the Garden of Eden before the fall, and the way it will be fully and finally when Jesus returns and makes all things right again. I was thinking about some parallel to this to help me understand it, maybe help you understand it. And I thought about what it might be like to be the child of the President of the United States. We've had presidents who had young children. Now, if you're the child of the President of the United States, you live in the White House. And when you go to the President, you're actually going to your dad. So when, when foreign dignitaries and people enter the Oval Office, I have to imagine it's a very intimidating place to be. I, what I understand is that's why they designed it in an oval, for it to be a little disorienting and a little intimidating. But if you're a child and you go in there, you can almost visualize a child crawling hands and knees past the feet of all the foreign dignitaries who are all intimidated and afraid right up to your dad. As the child of the president, you're just at home. You're with your father. That's the kind of access we've been granted to the very holiest places. That's the kind of access we've been granted to God. He sees us as his little children. That's amazing. Biblically, in God's presence, we enjoy fullness of joy, protection and comfort amidst danger, beauty, shelter from strife, satisfaction, refuge, guidance and security, contentment, and love. And I'm sure there's many other passages you could find about the presence of God in the Bible. But there's just ten for you. So the point of this is don't drift away from this. Don't drift away from this. Don't drift away. Draw near. That's what verse 22, the next verse, invites us. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Don't drift away. Draw near. Verse 23, don't drift away, hold fast. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now those invitations are for next week. I'm going to preach those two verses next week. This week I want to look at the third invitation, which I think is really surprising. Look at the third invitation in verse 24. Don't drift away, consider one another. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So the truth, because of Jesus, we have access to God. And the invitation, consider one another. That's really surprising to me, just logically. It doesn't quite seem to follow like the first two invitations do. It's surprising because you might have thought that because we have access to the Father, the Bible would encourage us to be like monks, Go then to the mountain by yourself where you can enjoy solitude and closeness with the Lord. But it doesn't. Instead, it says, think about one another. Consider one another. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another. I really like the original language here. That word stir up is more literally, it's like jab so that you can't be ignored. It's like a kid who just will not stop poking on their parent until their parent finally says, what? That's the invitation for us to turn toward each other because we have this access and just start jabbing each other. 
The second part is surprising as well. We're not jabbing each other, considering how to stir each other up or spur each other to enter the holy places. That would make sense logically. We are to stir each other up to love and good works. That's what it says. Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That, again, just logically is a surprise to me following the train of thought. But biblically, this is connected. Love and good works are completely connected to us having been granted access to God through Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 is a really good example of this. It's not going to be projected. I just You might be familiar with Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. It's a glorious passage describing what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, uh, how He's plucked us up out of the, the life in this dark world of just following our fleshly sinful instincts and obeying uh, the world's promptings, and instead He's put us with Jesus where we have just grace and mercy and forgiveness lavished upon us. It's an awesome passage of Scripture. But have you ever noticed how it ends It's a little bit of a surprise ending to it in verse 10. All this that Jesus has done, and then the last verse in that section says, We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So biblically, the the ideas are connected. God has granted you access to Him, And when that has its full effect in your life, it will result in love and good works. We are not buckets where God pours His grace to store it in us. We are broadcast spreaders. You know those things you walk behind? I think that's what they're called to seed your yard. And it's got a little thing that spins and it shoots seed and spreads it out all over the place. Mark, have you ever seen anything like this? You're not a bucket for God's grace. You're a spreader for God's grace. And what this passage teaches is that left to ourselves, we start to act like buckets when we're supposed to act like spreaders. The Bible teaches that if you're not dispensing God's grace to other people, just flinging it out to the people in your lives, there's something wrong and the work of God through Jesus Christ has not had its full effect in you. Something's malfunctioning. Apart from one another, we'll act like buckets. I hope to hear that become common vernacular among us. Stop acting like a bucket. (laughs) What does it look like for us to do this? And here's where we get closer to our thinking about membership and welcoming Brittany in and thinking about being the church together. Verse 25 gives us a little glimpse of what this looks like to live this way. In light of having been granted access to God through Jesus Christ, considering one another to stir each other up to love and good works, how do we do that? What does it look like? Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we can pull three things out of there, what this lifestyle looks like. One... It looks like meeting together. We just have to spend time together. We have to meet together for this to work. Time together is sort of the soil where a relationship has a chance to grow. Without it, there's just really no no chance for a fellowship or relationship to grow. We dry up. So we have all these meetings. We have, you're here, you're at one right now. Good job. 
Sunday mornings we have prayer meeting, and then that goes into Sunday school, and then we have time where we eat some food and catch up together, and then we have the worship service. On Wednesdays, we have a meal at 6 and then a Bible study for the adults. The youth go down and meet just the teenagers. Thursdays, there's a, a meeting at the Boston's house, a Bible study there. Um, we have monthly meetings for the young at heart, senior citizens, men, now women also meeting monthly. And then we have special occasion meetings. And then, hopefully, we have just interpersonal Meetings, times together that are not part of a church-organized event or program, just us spending time together. We meet together a lot, and that's biblical. We need to meet together. That's part of what it looks like for us to respond to the fact that we've been granted access to God together through Jesus Christ. So it looks like meeting together. The second thing we pull from this passage I find really interesting. It looks like a habit. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Your translation may say custom, but looking into it, I think habit is a pretty good translation for the word there. Neglecting to meet together, most of the time, often, is a habit. When we fall out of meeting together, you know, it's not, if you look beside you and say, oh, such and such isn't here this Sunday, odds are good they're not down at the satanic temple. Odds are good it's it's just perhaps they're falling into a habit, a custom. And the other interesting thing to me about this is it calls neglecting to meet together a habit. I would have thought neglecting to meet together was the absence of a habit. It's the absence of the good habit of meeting together. But now the Bible says... It is a habit in and of itself. Not meeting is in itself a habit. Now, how do you break a habit? Some people are in the habit of sleeping in on Sunday mornings, and so they perhaps are doing that this morning. You all are in the habit of getting up and getting dressed and being here, and so here you are. How, how does one who's in the habit of neglecting to meet together, which probably everybody in here has found themselves in at some point or another, how do you get out of that habit into the habit of meeting together? Well, there's lots of things that I could say here. One of the things I could say that I thought of is that it's like getting a wheelbarrow full of firewood out of a ditch. Uh, We had wood heat growing up, and I was a little guy back when I had to go across the field to get firewood and bring it back over. And there's a part where there's a little ditch, and if you got stuck in that ditch with a wheelbarrow full of firewood, you couldn't just, or at least I couldn't, you couldn't just start walking. You have to like back up and get a running start and get up out of there with that wheelbarrow. And that's kind of how habits work, getting out of a negative habit. I could encourage folks in the habit of neglecting to meet together to try to reconnect with some of the people of the church. Um, more than just going to the meeting, reconnect with the people, because the church is people, not the place. I could give ten ways to pave the way on Saturday for Sunday. Tips like, do your sleeping in on Saturday morning instead of Sunday morning. Get your work done on Saturday rather than Sunday. Prepare Sunday lunch on Saturday instead of on Sunday. Iron your clothes on Saturday so Sunday morning is easier on you. Gather your Bibles and notebooks Saturday night instead of Sunday morning so you don't have to look for anything, so it's easy. This is a big one. Prepare the coffee Saturday night so that in the morning it's just going to be there. You don't have to go through four steps to have coffee. 
gas the car on Saturday instead of Sunday so you're not going to have to stop at the gas station. That's just another barrier. Set your alarm so uh, you won't be rushing around. Give yourself twice as much time as you think you're going to need so you've got a lot of margin and you don't have to be stressed out. And then most important, pray for God's help and heart preparation to come. I could do that. I could give you those tips. I could say that you might need to get radical. Meredith and I had a bad habit of watching Netflix late at night to the point where we weren't able to get up early to have time in the Word. It was just a really bad habit that we're in. And we've broken that habit. Do you know how? A giant tree fell out of the yard and crushed the power lines and the phone lines so we were without power and internet for a long time. And during that time, we didn't have access to Netflix, and we realized we like to read and go to bed at like 9 o'clock, like old people. You might need to drop a giant tree onto something, figuratively speaking, to get out of the habit. You might need to change your work schedule. You might need to withdraw for some, from some sports, something radical. I could say all that stuff, but I'm not going to. I'm going to say what the Bible says, which is you replace the habit. You replace the negative habit of not attending. You replace it with the habit of encouraging. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. It's interesting, the alternative to not meeting together, to neglecting to meet together, isn't meet together. The alternative habit to neglecting to meet together is encourage one another. Now this to me is really good news. I mean, who wants to just meet together? And who just wants to go to meetings all the time? Nobody does. We can say no forever to meaningless religious social meetings and instead say yes to intentional influence in each other's lives. That's really what we're called to. Not just to meet go through the motions of meeting together to encourage one another. Let's become encouragers. And that's really hard in our church environment because we're naturally molded in the American church to become other things rather than encouragers. We're encouraged to become spectators. Where when we hear of needs for encouragement among the church, we assume somebody else will take care of it. That's why churches that are big are so heavily staffed. They've got to pay people to do it. Because American Christians are really pretty used to being spectators rather than encouragers a lot of the time. We're tempted to become observers. That's where we learn about things about each other's lives, maybe through the prayer chain or through conversation. Oh, man, that's too bad. Oh, well, and get back to our lives We settle for knowledge about one another rather than action on behalf of one another. Where the knowledge about one another is the invitation to act on behalf of each other, to encourage each other. We're tempted to become consumers rather than encouragers as American Christians. Now, I've mentioned these two phrases before, but I'll mention them again. If I never hear these two phrases again, it'll still be too soon. One, there's just nothing there for me. You hear that about about church. You know, I went, I came in, looked around. They didn't have anything designed for me. I don't know how they missed it. I don't know why they didn't design something for me, but they didn't have it, so I'm not going back. The other phrase, first one, there's nothing there for me. The second one, 
I just don't get anything out of it. Well, we're not, it's not Concord Mills. We're in this together. You're, you're here to give, not to receive. And it's just church is always going to be frustrating when we think that we're here. I'm here. Let's go. What do you all have for me? That's such an American mindset. And it's so slippery. It gets into our psyche and we don't even realize it. We don't need to be consumers. We need to be encouragers. The last category I thought of, critics. We're tempted in our culture to be critics. You know, you have movie critics, food critics, fashion critics. We're tempted just to be critics in our daily lives, and and that follows us into our church experience as well. I mean, how many times, if you're honest, has your ride home turned into like a post-game show? Well, I have to tell you, I thought Matt was off today. He seemed tired, dull-witted, balding. Over to you. What did you think? Give their opinion. Go home and eat lunch and forget about it. To encourage is to come up close beside and call out to someone. That's what the, the word means. Just two words click together. Come up close beside and then call. Talk to intentionally to someone. It's an invitation to get in there and get involved with one another. That's what the church is all about. Rolling up our sleeves, getting in there and getting involved with each other. Replacing the post-meeting critique with pre-meeting anticipation and prayer. God, how might you enable me to be an encouragement to somebody while we're together? Never underestimate the power of encouragement. It is so powerful. I think sometimes we feel like our words aren't, aren't going to do anything. That our words of encouragement are going to fall flat and they're not going to mean anything. But that's rarely the case if it comes from a heart of genuine Christian love. Encouragement is powerful. I know many of you have been encouraged by one another. You guys are an encouraging church. I love to hear of one of you saying that you talked to another of you and that other of you encouraged you. That, that is important, eternally significant ministry. I want to thank you for your encouragements to me. You guys are so encouraging to me. And you may feel like it's a small thing, but it is not. It is a big thing. I can remember one week, it was just a particularly discouraging week of ministry. Um, those, that happens. Um, if, if you can picture encouragement like the battery symbol on your phone, mine was down, it was like 1% encouragement. And check the mail and open up a handwritten letter and read it on my walk from the mailbox to the parsonage. By the time I made it to the parsonage, my encouragement gauge was 100%. It was just scriptural encouragement. It wasn't just hot air. It wasn't saying, oh, Matt, you're awesome. It wasn't like that. It was real Christian encouragement. It was saying, this is true about God and what He does in His Word. And therefore, your service of the Word is meaningful and helpful to me. Thank you. It was so strengthening and encouraging. Don't underestimate expressions of sympathy and grace that you communicate to one another. Reminders of truth, truths of God's Word, prayers of intercession, a warm hand on a cold shoulder, eye contact that says, I see you, ear contact that says, I hear you, Considerate conversation. These are the really valuable currency of fellowship. Spend lavishly on each other in encouragement. 
There's good work to be done. There's brothers and sisters who need you. We're drifting away from Christ to lesser pleasures all the time if we stop paddling, and we need each other to keep moving toward Him. Consider one another. Think about one another. Stir each other up to love and good works. Jab one another so you can't be ignored. Encourage one another. Let's unleash a tidal wave of cards and calls, texts and tweets, lunches and brunches, aimed at stirring up love and good works. We have been given access to God through Jesus Christ. And that means a whole host of things, some of which we'll talk about next week. But for right now, that means we should consider each other and encourage each other. And I'll end on a note of urgency the same way the passage does. The second part of verse 25. Encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day of Jesus' return is coming. It's hard for us to really wrap our minds around that and the busyness of everyday life. But He is going to return, and the time of His return is closer today than it was yesterday. Let's replace our habits of neglect with habits of encouragement. Let's let the Lord Jesus return to find us arm in arm, drawn near to God, holding fast to our shared beliefs, and doing everything we can to stir up one another to love and good works. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your love and mercy and grace toward us through Jesus Christ. There is not a single person in here that deserves this. Access to You where we can just come to You in prayer like this. Where we can experience the fullness of Your presence in us in the Holy Spirit. Thank You. Help us to expand our capacity to understand and be grateful for this. And help us to band together against the currents of this world. Help us to move toward Jesus Christ together. For it's in His name we pray. Amen.